On today's show, is the medical staff of the LA Clippers to blame? Should we question the medical staff, even though we're not in the locker room? What evidence do we have to even question them? Well, in this episode, I'm going to be looking at the weird incidents over the years that make people question them, and particularly who is being questioned. Going to be talking about that on today's Locked On Clippers. Our Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. You are locking in with the clips. Thank you for making Locked On Clippers the first listen of your day, your team every day. I'm your host, Darren Viziri, born and raised in LA and going into my 19th season as a Clipper fan this fall. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod and subscribe to my own YouTube channel, Dime Dropper, for even more LA Clipper and LA sports content. And Locked on Clippers, free and available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including YouTube, where I want you to tell me what you think of the Clippers medical staff and whether or not they should be questioned. Because this has been a conversation throughout years and years of Clipper discourse, and it really came to an all-time high this season, talking about the medical staff, head athletic trainer Jason Powell. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the why this is being even questioned, who is being questioned, and then my potential solution or what I have to offer to try to help the situation or what the Clippers could do to improve the situation. Now, this is a very complicated and slightly controversial discussion because us as fans on the outside, we are not, you know, this is not evaluating basketball. This is somebody's body. You know, this is stuff that we really aren't qualified to speak on. You know, this is stuff that's going on behind the scenes. We're not doctors, or at least I'm not, right? But we can also tell when things are just a little bit out of the ordinary as fans. So let's start with why the medical staff is being questioned in the first place. And the first reason the medical staff is being questioned is because the Clipper players are always injured. It's always injuries, and it's not just this era of Clipper basketball. So that has caused a lot of fans to say, why is this happening to us? Why do all of our players get hurt? Sean Livingston, Elton Brand tore his Achilles, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Serge Ibaka. You can keep on going. It's a laundry or, you know, like a chores list at this point. Laundry list, chores list, whatever you want to call it. It is... Bad, right? So everyone's questioning, is it us? Is it the Clippers that aren't handling injuries well, that don't do enough when it comes to injury prevention, all this stuff? In my opinion, I tend to think it's bad luck. I really do. I tend to think it's bad luck. I tend to think that Blake Griffin, I mean, he was injury prone. What can I say? He got hurt before he even stepped on the court for the Clippers in an injury that he sustained in a game. Then there's Chris Paul, who had arthroscopic knee surgery in 2010 and missed half of that season. So he came to the Clippers 
with injury problems, and he never had a season where he missed as many games as that 2010 season with the Clippers. So, I mean, yeah, it was it wasn't great, but I mean, compared to what we have now, Chris Paul was healthy. <laughs> And then Kawhi, he came in with the load management thing because we knew his knees were jacked up. So there's no surprise that it's gone, you know, badly there. Of course, we did not expect it to be as, you know, unfortunate as what what has happened, you know, with the ACL tear and now the meniscus tear in two of the last three playoffs. And it's caused him to miss all three of the playoffs. And then you have Paul George, who's just had these little nagging injuries over the course of his Clipper tenure and hasn't achieved a 70-plus game season with the Clippers. Now, of course, granted, those first two seasons that he played for us were shortened seasons. So the why is that everybody is wondering, why does this always happen to Clipper players? And to that, I'll say this. It is much more bad luck and injury-prone guys than the Clippers medical staff because the Clippers have had injury problems since the 80s, since the team moved from San Diego here. Bill Walton had tons of injuries. Marcus Johnson had a major injury. Derek Smith, who was really good in the beginning of his career, had a 30-point game or a 25-plus point game against the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and looked like he could match him athletically to a degree. To a degree, if you check out those young highlights, he's doing windmills and stuff, and he got injured. Now you probably don't even know who he is. You don't. Most people listening to this probably do not know who Derek Smith is. And you know why that is? Because he got injured as a member of the Clippers. Then you fast forward to the 2000s. How about Sean Livingston? I remember watching that game against the Bobcats where he dislocated his knee. That was terrible. That was unfortunate. That was just a a freak accident on the basketball court that happened to be in a Clipper uniform. Elton Brand tore his Achilles. Was never the same. Never. We had Chris Kamen who had a bunch of injuries. Then Blake, before he even sets foot on the court, gets injured. Chris Paul, and I, you know, I can keep going down the line. So the unf- it's really just a lot of bad luck in my opinion. Tons of bad luck. Should the Clippers medical staff be questioned? Well, this is where I think maybe you can say they should be questioned. Everyone always talks about the Phoenix Suns medical staff and their training staff. When Grant Hill was on the Suns, it felt like they had found something. They had found a way to keep a player that had that label of being injury prone and keeping him healthy for some really solid years as a role player, so solid that the Clippers picked him up, and this guy right here talking was ecstatic when we picked up Grant Hill. I was fanboying so hard, I couldn't believe when we got Grant Hill, and he was injured like the first four months of his Clipper tenure, three months of it, and Matt Barnes at that point had solidified that backup small forward spot and grabbed it and held on to it. And then he became the starter after we traded Karam Butler, which I am not going to get into on this episode because that trade still makes me mad. But the point is, Grant Hill never broke in with the Clippers. He was always injured and he retired shortly after. With the Suns, he was this revitalized role player that wasn't getting hurt anymore. Then there's Chris Paul, who was injured in Houston and the Clippers, Went to OKC, had that really healthy season out of nowhere, apparently changed his diet, and then yes, he did have some injuries here and there with the Suns, but you know, relative to the fact that he's older now and he's still missing around the same amount of games in a load management era where people are just missing more games on average, and he's still playing around 60 games every year, that's insane to me. So I think there is a level of 
your training staff, your medical staff being better than some others. But in terms of injury prevention and what's really going on, that's a really broad conversation that I'm quite frankly not super qualified to have. But I will say this. The only thing I can do is listen to those that are qualified and listen to those that have more experience and then compare notes and try to, you know, put two and two together and connect some dots. And I've mentioned this several times on this show, but one of the guys that I really have studied in terms of this conversation is Tim Grover, who was the trainer for MJ, Kobe, and D. Wade. And, I mean, there's no better three names that have played the shooting guard position than that in the history of basketball. And he talked about how he believes there are too many cooks in the kitchen nowadays and that people are going away from the simplistic methods of weightlifting and doing too much resistance and all this stuff. And I remember LeVar Ball saying, Lonzo got to get back in the weight room. Too many resistance bands when he was still getting hurt so much. Now, I think Lonzo is another one of those players that has the injury-prone label, and rightfully so, and I really wish him the best. But there has to have been something that went wrong as well. I don't believe it's 100% bad luck. I do think there is something about staying healthy and, you know, taking care of your body and reducing the risk of injury. And I don't believe it's load management. I really don't. I do think there are instances where, yes, someone may be being overworked and an injury could be looming and all that. But the, the extent of the Clippers medical staff take it is way too far. And that's another reason why I'm having this episode is the reason why the frustration was so high is because it feels like the Clipper medical staff was overly cautious at times this season. And over the course of the time we've had Kawhi and Paul George, it's not just back-to-backs that Kawhi misses. He misses like games when we have a, you know, a crowded stretch of games. And it's like, I get it. You don't want him to get hurt, but he got hurt anyway. Are you, can you give me a guarantee that he's going to get hurt in that game that he plays? It's all probability, right? But there's a probability you get hurt playing, period. I don't need to be a doctor to know that. That's a sports. So, okay, it's a slightly higher probability. But when you keep doing this over the course of the season, you limit Paul George after the all-star break in which you let him go to Salt Lake City and then you have him on a minutes restriction, which you don't, you're not even following, by the way. You go over it for that double OT game against Sacramento and then you take him out for double overtime and then put him in for the last play. And then against Orlando, the strict cutoff where we just are blowing a game. Like, at what extent do you prioritize health versus actually winning basketball games and doing the best that you can to put those guys in the court if they're 90% or more? or 85% or more. You, It's not normal to stay fully healthy without bumps, bruises, nicks, sprains, all that throughout the course of an 82-game season in a fast-paced league in the NBA. Like, you're not going to be fully, fully healthy. That's just not... Like, LeBron said it best a couple years ago. He's like, I'm never going to be fully healthy again because I've been banged up too much. I've been banged up way too much. So that's just the wear and tear of the season. Do I think load management should be a thing league-wide? No, I don't think it should be. But that's a different conversation. As far as the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, yes, because we knew he had a degenerative knee coming to the Clippers. So we knew what we signed up for, and he, we saw him win a championship that way. Not to say that that's a good formula to win the championship. We don't really have much choice. And plus, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, it's only gone worse for him in terms of the health thing, so we have to load management manage him. But my thing is this, and I'm going to talk about it later in the show. These strategies of overly be, overly conservative, you know, stuff from the Clippers medical staff, it didn't pay off. 
It didn't pay off. And the clip, as fans, we got really screwed the whole season, and it wasn't fun. We built no good vibes, no good rhythm. So it was tough. So yes, I think they should be being questioned. I really do because at the end of the day, this is a results-driven business. As a, but here's my problem: when people target one individual, and that gets us into the who of this episode. So coming up, going to be talking about who's to blame, if there is anyone to blame, and who is involved in this conversation. Going to be talking about that coming up. I got to tell you a little something about FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The NFL season is right around the corner. Get ready for the season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, let's talk about the who of this topic. The main guy that catches all the heat for these injuries, for the injury prevention, for the misdiagnosis, and when I say misdiagnosis, don't worry, I will expand, is Jason Powell, head athletic trainer. Now, here's the thing. Jason Powell gets all the bullets because he's on the bench. We can all see him. And secondly, he's the only remaining part of the organization that we can see, you know, on the bench in front office that is a remaining piece of the Sterling era. And that is a large reason why people go after Jason Powell. They're like, we've had these problems since before. As I detailed in the first segment, we've had them before Powell. But the the fans that want to push this narrative say, you know, ever since Jason Powell, we have just been all over the place with injuries, misdiagnosis, telling fans that players are going to come back this week and they miss another couple of weeks. So there's been a lot of heat on Jason Powell's name. And I, I mean, this guy, by the way, I've seen him deal with such injury-prone rosters where, like, he's just working so hard on that bench. So, like, it's hard for me to go out Jason Powell. And it also, I've never met the guy, but all the people that I know that have met him say he's a really, really good guy. So, like, I'm not just going to go after someone when I don't have evidence. There's a fact that he is one of the only remaining people from the Sterling era. That is a fact. But, like, do I fully believe in all this bad juju from Sterling era and that this innocent bystander over here that's a good guy for, from all accounts is now someone that needs to lose his job because he was connected to Sterling. I don't agree with that. So I just want to tell you guys how big the medical staff really is. Are you ready for these names? Performance and Health, this is it. Chairman of Performance Health and Wellness, Dr. John Meyer. Director of Rehabilitation, Maggie Bryant. Senior Performance Physical Therapist, Jesse Phillips. Performance Scientist and Biomedical Analyst, Jay Porterfield. Performance Information Engineer slash Sports Science, Adam Virgil. Director of Medical Services slash Head Athletic Trainer, Jason Powell. Assistant Athletic Trainer, Colby Clarity and Tommy Murdoch. Assistant Performance Coach, Randy Shelton. Head Strength and Conditioning Coach, Daniel Shapiro. 
Burrow, assistant strength and conditioning coach Wes Long, executive performance chef Jay He Cho, lead sports dietitian, because what they eat is very important as well, Jessica Isaacs, head team physician, Dr. Steve Yoon, and then team physician, Dr. Stephen Krems, Dr. Mark Laska, Dr. Stephen Shimoyama. So you see all those names? That's a lot of people involved in these decisions and conversations. And that's what makes me think that maybe what Tim Grover said has some validity. That's a lot of people. And you're not even talking about a personal trainer for a player. So like back in the day, you had one trainer and then you had your personal trainer. Now you have the muscle activation guy. You have all these names I just said, massage therapist. Like maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Maybe there's too many people talking about what's going on. It's not consistent. Maybe one guy's telling him one thing and another guy's telling him another thing. Maybe one guy wants them to do more resistance bands. Maybe another guy wants them to lift more weights. I don't know. But all I know is youth sports have a bigger influence on this than anything NBA teams are doing, in my opinion. I think the AAU and the money in sports now has caused all these aggressive parents that want to push their kids and the more competition with more kids playing sports around the world makes them go even harder at a young age in one sport using the same joints and muscles over and over and over again to the point where these guys are more cooked than previous athletes coming into the league and then just playing a fast-paced league again like now it's back to like the early 90s and 80s pace of the NBA you know they might, you know, they might get injured more because they're coming in with more wear and tear. It's not that it's more wear and tear in the NBA now. Because back then, they were riding commercial and, like, playing in a very physical era with really bad shoes and not nearly as many people and the surgeries weren't as good. So, like, that's why their careers didn't last as long. So, Stephen Curry and also Locked On Nuggets' very own Matt Moore made, two, made a point, and they both said the same thing, that load management, it's not really to prevent an injury as much during the course of that season short term it's more to not let chronic and nagging injuries get so bad to the point where your career ends short and you're walking with a cane in 20 years that's what load management is for and you know what i feel you i feel you completely let's shorten the season though instead because the fans get screwed that's the problem and it makes for worse basketball it makes for a worse product but we're also loyal to our teams, and basketball is such a beautiful game, and there's so much talent in the NBA always, especially in this era offensively. So you'll still get, you know, like, for example, we dropped 130 points with Robert Covington scoring 40. You know what I'm saying? That's all because of the five out, the spacing, how easy it is to get good shots now with the way the game is played, and just really great shot makers. So it's different now. But my point is these guys are coming into the league with more wear and tear. So it's not as big of an issue with the NBA to me as it is youth sports, the pyramid. But there's no way that a lot of these NBA teams are doing things perfectly. I mean, when Paul George comes out and says that we're not doing things right, that's big to me. He said multiple times, and I don't know how right he is because, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm, the only thing I've said is, you know, what Tim Grover told me. I've talked about what I've heard about people or what that, you know, that locked on listener, I forget her name, the Pilates instructor. If you're listening, shout out to you. Uh, told me about Paul George's glutes and his lower body and how he looks like he's very prone to injury. You know, that's all I know in terms of scientific stuff is listening to them and Tim Grover talk. But Paul George is saying that they're not working hard enough. He's saying we don't practice anymore. You know, so all of a sudden we go from a low risk, uh, you know, low reps to high reps and then we play in the full speed game. It's just that doesn't sound right as opposed to playing hard and practicing hard all the time and then injuries just happen as it happens. You know, I think sometimes going a body in motion stays in motion. I think there really is some validity to that. To what degree and how much that's hurting the current NBA players and the Clippers, I do not know. 
But I also want to talk about the misdiagnosis thing that makes people question these guys as well. It's not just this era of Clipper basketball that this has happened. Chris came in, and you know what's funny? I was young, but I was watching the games. But someone brought this back up to me, that Chris came in, you know, at the end of the 08 season, he had missed 26 of the final 43 games because of a sprained left foot. And then he played in the Olympics for Germany, if I'm not mistaken. And then he had a sore left foot in the 08-09 season where he played like the first 15 games. And then he went, he was out from November 29th, 2008, all the way to March 10th, 2009. So he missed like the whole season damn near. The whole month of December, the whole month of January, and the whole month of February. So Chris came in, and it was funny because then they said later that it was a strained arch. So like just finding out the injury was different later and it's more severe. Does that sound familiar? So that was really weird. And then he had the bone bruise in 2011. So like it was a weird situation with Cayman. And then when Blake Griffin got hurt, in the beginning they were saying he could come back, he could come back. And then they were like, nah, we're not doing very well. We're going to sit him out the rest of the year. But I think that had more to do with that we were gonna we were tanking than, you know, not wanting to risk things with Blake. Actually, I'm sorry. It had more to do with we were taking and it's not worth risking things with Blake than misdiagnosing injuries and pushing dates back. But it didn't feel like he could play that first year, Blake Griffin, if I'm not mistaken. So that was weird. And then you have the Serge Ibaka back injury where he came back and then he got re-hurt. And then there was Norman Powell when he came off the bench in the 2022 season, right when he came to the Clippers, he had hurt himself. Then they allowed him to come back in. Then he was out for a long time. Then there was Paul George that same season with the elbow. Then we let him play again. And five games later, he got hurt again. Now, I personally think like re-injury, like it's very hard to paint that on the medical staff. Although, I mean, it is their job, but sometimes you just re-injure things. Like these players, a lot of them are pushing to get back on the court, contrary to popular belief. And eventually, as a medical staff, you're like, we got to win games. And as I said, it's a results business. It's a risk thing. So if Paul George gets back and doesn't re-injure himself, then it's a different conversation. We're not blaming the medical staff. If it was a guarantee that PG was going to get re-injured, do you think the medical staff would have ever let him come back? No, they're not stupid. It's not... It's not um it's not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee. So again, it's all a probability thing. But there's one thing that's for sure. You can't just blame Jason Powell. That's just being a simple-minded fan that's not looking how deep and how many people are involved in these decisions. To say that the Clippers medical staff should be questioned is absolutely fair because of all the things I've just said. And then the Kawhi, the sprained knee, and then you tell us he tore his meniscus. Like, it's just ridiculous. And then don't the, the peak of the, the nonsense was when Ty Lute himself looked livid after that Memphis game where Kawhi is getting pulled out mid-game. Is that the medical staff's call? Because if you're painting it as such, you're not making them look good as a staff. Because you want to protect Kawhi. Is it Kawhi's people? So then again, do we have Kawhi's medical people versus our medical staff? It's just there's a lot of things to question, and that's why they should be questioned. Coming up, though, some solutions. What can we do to improve the issue? Going to be talking about that coming up. All right. So as I want to reinstate, I'm not a medical professional that can tell you how we're going to solve this problem of the injury-prone stuff. But I will say this. I also don't want to 
chime in on the practicing thing because I don't know if Paul George is right on that. I love that he's speaking up for playing more, but I do not know if them playing more is going to help them not get hurt. I don't know. But there may be some validity to it. What I do know is this. When Kawhi and Paul are 90% or more, they should be playing. They should be playing. The medical staff needs to take the games seriously as well. They can't. You can't have this, we got to save them for the playoffs approach when they just got hurt and you already did that approach. You have to change things. You have to change things. You know, the minutes restrictions can't be so, so harsh. Look, if they're going to get hurt again, they're going to get hurt again. There's no, all these prevention tactics, like you want to wrap them in bubble wrap before the game, that, that'll really prevent things. So, again, I get it's a probability game, but I think besides the Kawhi back-to-backs, they should be playing in every game that they can because when they actually get hurt, when they actually get hurt, not sore knee or sore foot, soreness, I mean, that always happens to players in, in sports. You're going to be sore, especially in basketball where you're playing so frequently. But if it's so sore to the point where you know you're, oh, like, I'm going to hurt it, okay, I get it. But at that point, it's not even soreness. You know what I'm saying? It's like, at that point, it's not even soreness. Because at least for me, right, I think soreness is a cover-up for rest a lot of times in today's game. Because, like, they're not just going to blatantly say rest, but they do a lot of times, weirdly. I don't get it. I know Adam Silver had that thing a couple of years back where he's like, you can't just say rest. But it's like every team gets around it, and they still come out and say rest like the media will. But, like, let's say, like, I don't want to compare myself to an athlete, a uh, professional player. But, like, when anyone, I guess, can chime in on this in the comments. But when I'm sore, it's not, it's when I don't want to play, you know, when I'm sore, it's not because I think I'm going to get hurt. It's because I don't think that I can play to the best of my abilities because I'm just going to be moving slower. You know what I'm saying? I am sore. I'm just going to be moving slower and all that. And look, as I said, not everyone's going to be 100% throughout the course of a season. That's why you have to find ways to still contribute without maybe going 110 every night. It is a grueling regular season. Not everyone's going to play like Terrence Mann every night, you know, with that kind of fire. It's not, that's, that's why those guys that play super hard every night, Patrick Beverly's of the world, that's why those guys are loved so much. But not everyone's like that. And it's not just a today's game thing. That's always been a thing. You always had your Rodmans, you know. So I think when you have a real injury, they're going to have to miss games, of course soreness and oh we've played five games in nine nights like or you know the three games in four nights like no you have this is the nba schedule you have to do this it's not easy because the other alternative is we we do the same thing we did last year we try to be fourth seed and then try to spark something in the playoffs without the same rhythm and chemistry as other teams i don't like that i don't think that's a formula to win so the solution to me is when Ty Lue and Paul George and all these guys are on this on these podcasts saying we need to take the regular season more seriously, the medical staff should be included in this in terms of prioritizing winning and not just, oh, we got to save them for the playoffs. Like Ty Lue's like, it's smart, right? You know, you want to get them, you rest them to get them to that point. How did that work out? This is a results business. Ultimately, it's more down to luck. I don't need to be a medical professional to say this. I'm not coming after anyone's job. All I'm saying, or I'm not even calling out anybody for their job because I'm not qualified to be a doctor. I don't want to come off that way. But all I'm saying is I'm not calling out individuals. All I'm saying is as a staff, we are suspect. The results have not favored us. There's nothing for me to say that this medical staff is good and that they know what they're doing. Just because they had whatever degree from whatever place, it doesn't matter to me. I don't. I, it's a results business. So it's either they're not a good medical staff 
or we just have injury-prone players. I know for a fact we have injury-prone players, so maybe it's both, or maybe they're just injury-prone. It's all bad luck, and the medical staff is fine, but all I know is this. We went way too overboard last season, and it was all over the place. When your own head coach is at a press conference angry that he didn't know that his best player is coming out at halftime, that is something wrong, and that is something that Ballmer needs to take accountability for here as well. Who's running the asylum? Seriously. So when we say seriousness, it's the top down this season. So the solution is to back up what they were saying. And that's for everyone to try to go out there when Kawhi and Paul are healthy to play every game besides the Kawhi back-to-backs. That's it. If they just come back from an injury, okay, I get not playing them back-to-backs in the, in the beginning as far as Paul George is concerned. Because Kawhi is not going to play back-to-backs, period. But Paul George, working back to it. That's all I got. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know if you think they should be questioned in the pinned comment. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the notification bell for all things LA Clippers, the only five-day-a-week Clipper podcast. And make sure you watch Locked On NBA and the Locked On Podcast Network and all Locked On channels, authentic fans or media members from those cities covering their teams. Nothing better than that. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DimeDropperPod. Subscribe to my own YouTube channel, Dime Dropper, for even more NBA, NBA history, and LA Clipper content. And yeah, that's all I got for this one. The age-old proverb continues. Go Clippers.